The coming false shepherd of Israel next on Light on the Hill. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you. Cause all I need is We're told throughout scripture that there will be a seven-year tribulation period where God will pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. There'll be a covenant with Israel that will later be broken. The Jews will flee their land, but God will defend and deliver them in one final battle. It's then they'll finally recognize Jesus as their Messiah. This is foretold in Zechariah, and we'll study that today on Light on the Hill. In Zechariah chapter 11, starting at verse 10, here's Pastor James Cadiz. This is interesting, verse 10. And I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder that I might break my covenant, which I had made with all the people. Now, this is a very interesting thing. When he calls a staff beauty that he had broken, what is he talking about? Undoubtedly, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Messiah that was broken. And it's very interesting because the picture is, I gave the Messiah to deliver uh, my people. My people rejected him. He was broken. And the bond that was between me and my people was broken because the covenant had been broken. And I allowed that covenant to be broken. And they broke the covenant even more by breaking Jesus, by rejecting him. Now, it's interesting because when Jesus speaks to us and he tells the disciples to partake in communion, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And this is the symbol of the new covenant, right? The covenant that I give to you. And so it's interesting because when you look at the Shabbat, the Shabbat, the Sabbath is a symbol of a covenant that was made between God and his ancestrally chosen people, the Jews. But when you begin to look at the picture of communion, communion is a symbol of the new covenant that was made between us and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so it's very interesting how Jesus was that staff that was called beautiful, that was broken, and it undoubtedly speaks of the fact that he was crucified. It speaks of the circumstances behind his crucifixion. The idea here is the Jews were given the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah for the whole world. The Father sent Jesus to be the Messiah, not just the Jewish Messiah, but a Messiah for the whole world. And the Jews rejected Jesus because of the terrible leadership that had existed in that time. The Pharisees hated him, right? The Sadducees hated him. The governors did not want to give him the time of day because they were fearful of him taking some kind of weird power that they never had in the first place. It was a very ugly situation, and they betrayed him. God said, I gave you the Savior. I brought him over. And he's broken. And notice how God says this. It's very interesting. And it was broken in that day. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 10. And I just read it. He says, I took my staff, even beauty, and what? I cut it asunder, that I might break my covenant, which I had made with all the people. Right? Here's the thing that people don't recognize about the covenant that God had made with the nation of Israel. People don't recognize it. See, when people look at, at God saying, I broke my covenant, right? I literally cut the staff in half, meaning I allowed the Messiah to die, or I, I killed him in order to break the covenant. This is the part of the covenant people don't get. See, people look at the breaking of a covenant and they say that that's an ultimate betrayal. That's not what the Lord is talking about here. Think about it like this, right? 
God goes to the people of Israel and he says, if you will follow my commands, blessed will be you in the country. Blessed will be you in the city. Blessed will you be with the wife of your youth. And blessed will you be on the land in which you grow your, your food. And he goes on talking about the many blessings. And in that passage, Deuteronomy, I believe it is, 28, he goes on to tell them how much they're going to be blessed for like 16 verses. And then after that, and I'm just quoting it from my memory, he says, if you will disobey the Lord your God, this is all part of the covenant. He goes on to say, cursed will be you in the city, and cursed will be you in the country, and cursed will be the wife of your youth, and cursed will be your children, and cursed will be every kind of thing you can think of. It's interesting how God says, if you'll obey the Lord your God and keep his commandments, he promises blessings for the next 16 verses. But then if you will not keep the commandments and you will disobey the Lord your God, he curses them for probably the next 40 or 50 verses. That's not a joke, folks. That's exactly what he does. As a matter of fact, I don't want to misquote it. So let me just go over there really quickly because I am saying this off the top of my head and uh, my memory is uh, uh, sometimes does not serve me quite well. I am seeing the text in my head, but I'm just going to make sure. Yeah, so when you get into Deuteronomy, right? You look at verse one of Deuteronomy 28. It says this, and it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee in this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nation and all the earth and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shall thou be you in the city and blessed shall thou you be in the field. And he goes on and on and on with the blessings, but I was wrong. I quoted it wrong. He actually stops the blessings at verse 14. Then at verse 15, he says, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe all to do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And he starts the curses in verse 16, just like I said, right? And the curses do not stop until verse 68. These will be all the curses. Well, God kept this covenant, right? They cursed the name of the Lord. They didn't obey his commands. And what did God start doing? God started cursing them. But isn't it funny how the Bible tells us in Zechariah, that God took his staff, even beauty, referring to the Messiah, referring to Christ, broke it in half. Think about that for a second. That he might break his covenant, which he had made with all the people. Here's something a lot of people may not have considered. The breaking of the covenant, which he had made with all of his people, may have been one of the most merciful acts that God had ever done. Because with the introduction of the Messiah and the Messiah experiencing the judgment for all of our sins, he broke the covenant in that he did not allow the people of Israel to experience the kind of suffering that he would into fruition the way that it was predicted. And don't get me wrong, the people of Israel have experienced tremendous suffering throughout the years, more than any other people group in human history. But what is very interesting is how God ushers in the introduction of the Messiah that that covenant might be broken so that a new covenant might be made for a mechanism of hope and peace. Yet, they didn't want it. They rejected it. Look at this in verse 11. And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. There were many people during the time of Christ that witnessed him 
watched his ministry. They were, in many respects, people who were not well off, but they knew the word. The angels appeared to the shepherds that were outside of Bethlehem. Very likely, by the way, the temple shepherds. Very likely the shepherds that were taking care of the flock that was to be sacrificed to the Messiah while they're getting the announcement from the Lord through his angels that the Messiah was born, the real sacrifice. Think about that. The shepherds that were tending to the animals that would be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins were the same shepherds that received the word that the ultimate sacrifice had arrived on the earth, right? There were people that knew, that were aware. There were many people that set their eyes upon the Messiah and knew exactly who the Messiah was. There were many people that recognized exactly what was going on. They knew it was the word of the Lord. When the fulfillment of Zechariah earlier on comes in the past, the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9, and Jesus rides into the city on a donkey, what were people saying? Hoshana, Hoshana, save now. They knew it. They knew who they were dealing with. They were praising him as the Messiah. The religious leaders of the time were the ones that were rebuking them, saying, tell your disciples to shut their mouths. Jesus says, I told them to shut up. The very rocks are going to cry out, right? Pretty powerful. There were people in that time that knew who Christ was. You think of many of the people that were affected by it. There were even Roman soldiers that recognized Christ for who he was, right? Remember the story of Jairus' daughter? Remember the story? There's so many different stories that we can go back and think of, of people who looked at Christ and recognized him for what he was, saw him as the Messiah and worshiped him. And this is where it gets really interesting. So it was broken in that day, verse 12. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for the price 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said unto me, cast it to the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. A little bit of sarcasm right there, and I'll explain. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, this is very interesting because Matthew speaks about this story and tells us what happened. Judas, when he went to go betray the Lord Jesus, uh, was paid 30 pieces of silver in order to betray the Lord. Now, what is very unique about this was in the law, if you go and you read the book of the law, the Old Testament, if, if my recollection serves me correctly, if you had an ox, right, and that ox was uh, uh, sort of uh, ran away, right, and lost its mind or did something crazy and ran over a slave that belonged to you, then the law of the Old Testament required that I paid you 30 pieces of silver for the slave that was killed. That's what a slave was worth, 30 pieces of silver. So Zechariah here, bit of sarcasm involved here, says, yeah, you're paying a goodly price for the betrayal of this Messiah. Judas does what? Judas gets paid 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. You know, it's very interesting about that story, perhaps even more unique, is that when we read the story in Matthew, we find out that after Jesus was betrayed, he, in essence, is crucified. Judas, with his 30 pieces of silver, catches wind of the fact that Christ is crucified. We don't know what was going through his head at the very moment that that happened, but we knew enough to know that he went back before the priests 
and he threw the 30 pieces of silver in front of them and says, I want nothing to do with this, and then went off and hung himself. We know that story, right? What's even more interesting were, if you remember the story of the uh, priests of the time, they took the, they took the 30 pieces of silver and they said, well, we can't put it back into the temple money because it's blood money. So we can't really put it back into the, uh, into the trough of the temple. So they went out and they bought a potter's field. Just exactly like Zechariah predicted here. It's exactly what happened. By the way, it is really interesting, and I do want to note a technicality. When you get into Matthew, I believe it's in 27. I don't really remember exactly where, again, top of my head. But when you go into uh, the end of Matthew, Matthew actually says that this was a, uh, a completely, perfectly fulfilled prophecy. But Matthew says this was a prophecy of Jeremiah, right? Not of Zechariah. Now, there are some arguments as to why that is actually stipulated by Matthew. Some people actually believe that there, may, there was a copyist error, like some kind of a copying uh, error when uh, Matthew was actually written. And this is where you start getting into the quell theory and some of these other weird things that kind of come up with Matthew. I don't think that's the case. What I actually think was Zechariah very likely wrote down a prophecy that he heard Jeremiah actually giving, right? Whether it be firsthand or secondhand, my guess is Jeremiah was the one that probably first gave this prophecy. I'm guessing Zechariah was the one that probably wrote this down. Uh, that's that's what I'm guessing. I could be wrong, but um, it, it would seem to make the best sense there. No matter how you cut it, it's a perfectly uh, accurate fulfillment of Bible prophecy here, right? That's exactly what happened. So, then I cut asunder my other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood, bands meaning blinders, right? When we talk about bands, that's what it's talking about, the blinders, right? That I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. So think about it. This staff that was broken was the binding element, right? It was the very thing that, that bound the rest of what Israel was together. And when he breaks the staff, right, he's breaking the last thing that kept Israel bound together. If you think about it, guys, when the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians in 700 BC, there was still a lot of hope for the future of Israel because the southern kingdom was the kingdom that had remained intact several hundred years after the destruction of the northern kingdom by Assyria, and in essence, the obliteration of the northern kingdom. And so the southern kingdom was believed to always have been true Israel anyway, so everybody had felt a lot of hope for the nation. When the southern kingdom was completely destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC, understand, after the 70 years that was predicted by Jeremiah passed, and we got to the point where we started reading through the post-exilic books, right? Like when we start reading through Nehemiah, Ezra, uh, uh, many of these people, Haggai, even Zechariah, the hope of the nation of Israel was still somewhat there in that there was no longer a northern kingdom or a southern kingdom. Both the northern kingdom and southern kingdom was completely destroyed, but there was a common bond that existed amongst the Jews as people who suffered a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. Samaritans were still very hated by the Jews who were also part Jews. Samaritans were part Jews. And so there was still a lot of hatred there. But for the most part, when you start looking at it, there was still a binding that had taken place. But when Titus came in and destroyed the temple in 70 AD, then literally Israel was completely 
uh, decapitated. There was no hope for Israel. There was nothing that was there to bind them. The binder was gone. God removed the binder. When that staff was broken, the binder was broken. Israel and Judah had no longer been together. In other words, Israel pretty much scattered. There was no hope for Israel, which is why it's so amazing to see Bible prophecy fulfilled in that the nation of Israel is a nation again. It is a nation of Jews reestablished in 1948, right? What an amazing picture. 75 years ago, we watched Bible prophecy come to life, and we're continuing to watch it come to life as we're watching God uh, setting everything up in order to deal with the Jews to bring salvation to them as they are reunited with the correct Messiah. But here's where it gets really interesting. This is the part that hasn't happened yet, but will. Look at this in verse 15. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. And the final Antichrist has been called many things, right? He has been called the son of perdition. He has called, been called the wicked one, the evil one, the Antichrist. Many different things he's been titled. In this context, we're looking at him through the eyes of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that uh, is broken, nor feed that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. In other words, I'm going to send a shepherd that isn't going to tend to the flock. He's not going to find the one that ran off and is missing. He's not going to be the one that looks for one while the 99 are here. He's not going to take care of them and protect them from the wolf. No, he's going to find them. He's going to uh, claim to be their leader, and he is going to tear them up into pieces. We're talking about the final Antichrist here, folks. That's who we're talking about. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and right eye shall be utterly darkened. That's very interesting. And I'm very tempted to go into chapter 12 to kind of continue through. But notice what it says here. It says that his arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. We know what happens to the final Antichrist, right? We read about him. He actually takes a mortal wound. And that mortal wound apparently is going to disable part of his body. It's going to keep him from being completely functional as was before. Kind of interesting thought to close on. And I'll just, like I said, I, I knew this would go quickly. But it's amazing to me how the world is beginning to say more than it ever has before that it is biblical fundamentalists that are the problem that keeps the world from coming together. Right? In the United States, we're being called white nationalists, terrorists. We're being called every kind of name in the book. And whether it be here in the United States or anywhere in the world, Christians are being deemed as the problem to keep the Great Reset from happening. That's what they're calling it right now, the Great Reset. Some people have termed it differently. But the plan of the globalists to come together. Christians have been the one people group identified by the whole world that will keep that from happening. Now, the world is right because Christians are the one group that's keeping that from happening, right? We're the preserving influence as it tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right? We know that. But here's the thing that we don't see. I think oftentimes we forget about it, that the world certainly doesn't see. I think we know it, but we just forget about it. I don't think we have to worry about what the world is going to do to get rid of us. 
Because I think the Lord is going to get rid of us by the time that that happens. When I say get rid of us, I mean he's going to take us away. He's going to solve the problem that the globalists have by removing us and calling us to be with him. And the globalists are going to go crazy. And they're going to find their Messiah. The Jews are going to find their Messiah. You know what's really interesting? If you go to Israel today and you ask a Jew who's Orthodox and you say, how are you going to know that this person is your Messiah? You know the number one answer that you'll get? It is the number one answer that's being given. Because he'll rebuild our temple. He'll rebuild our temple. Look around at the movement going on right now for the temple being rebuilt. I don't know if you saw the uh, Knesset now that's been formed at the hands and the leadership of Bibi Netanyahu. There is a member of the Knesset right now. This has never happened before. There's a member of the Knesset that is actually calling, calling for the temple to be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. You think about that for a minute. I don't know about you. I'm not really looking for the Antichrist. Quite frankly, I'm not really looking for the temple to be rebuilt. I know there's a lot of people that get excited about the rebuilding of the temple, but I want to caution Christians that are excited about the building, the rebuilding of the temple. Look, it's exciting in that we know that that's another sign that Jesus is coming soon, and he is coming very, very soon, sooner than many of us think. But I want you to also remember one very important aspect of this. Don't be so quick to be excited about the temple being rebuilt because the temple that's going to be rebuilt is the Antichrist temple. It's a temple for the Antichrist, not the real Christ. The temple that we should all be looking forward to is, of course, the one that we read about in Ezekiel, right? The one that we'll actually see during the millennial reign and, of course, the new city that's going to be rebuilt, as we understand, or the new city that's going to be built by God. But it is interesting to me how vivid how accurate and how clear the Bible is about what we're going to expect. Folks, here's the good news about the position that we're in right now. Jesus is coming soon, right? And knowing that he's coming soon does not absolve us from standing up and fighting against unrighteousness. Knowing that he's coming soon should not keep us from doing the things that we know that we're called to do in order to do that which God has put in front of us. It shouldn't keep us from standing up against tyrannical leaders and the ugliness of this world because we want to be found worthy as Christ comes back for his church. But it is amazing to know that our hope and that our future is secure in the Lord, knowing the future that's going to come. Guys, understand this. Zechariah chapter 11 was believed to be written in 487 BC. Think about that for a second, okay? When Titus came in and destroyed the temple, that was 70 AD. You are talking about almost 600 years before that happened. And Zechariah got every word of it right. God never gets it wrong, you guys. Pastor James Cadiz on Light on the Hill will be right back. Our present series is a study in the Minor Prophets. If you missed any part of it, log on to lightonthehillradio.com and click on Radio Show or listen through our Light on the Hill app. To find the app in the search bar, just type in Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. God is our wonderful provider here at Light on the Hill, and we continually look to Him for guidance and provision. If you'd like to stand with us through either a one-time donation or ongoing support, please visit lightonthehillradio.com or give through our Light on the Hill app. There is a lot going on right now in the prophetic realm, and we want to keep you informed. 
Pastor James releases daily videos at jamescadiz.com addressing the issues of the day from a biblical perspective. Visit jamescadiz.com for more. Now with these final thoughts, here again is Pastor James. I also want to say one more thing, and I would agree with Pastor Chuck when he would always say this. He'd say, look, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for the final Antichrist. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the coming of Christ because he's coming and we won't be here for everything else. I always joke about this. I used to joke about this a lot when we would talk about the Antichrist being wounded and not having a workable arm and having a darkened eye. It's like, those are things you'll want to look for, right? When the Antichrist makes himself known and he's wounded and he miraculously recovers and the whole world watches him recover from a fatal wound, when he has those parts of his body disabled, you'll know it's him. But the good news is you don't have to worry about that because you won't be here for it, right? You won't be here. But maybe someone will be listening to this online if the web service is still up. Maybe they're listening to my teaching. You're seeing that guy. Don't take the mark. It's telling you that right now. Don't allow the mark to get put on your forehead or in your hand. Even the ironic part about that is the Bible tells us that in Revelation 14, there are angels. The angel tells them, don't do this, and yet they still do it gladly. They're not going to be like unwittingly knowing what they're doing. They're going to know exactly what they're doing. But the best part about all of this is we won't be here for any of it. Right? To God be the glory for that. Amen? Hear all about Israel's coming future next time on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz, a presentation of Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you. Cause all I need is